Hello, lovely people. My name is Shatina Hunter, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as the creator of Always Live Lovely. And you are currently watching episode one of a series called Breaking Barriers, where we are having a mental health conversation, okay? Right. So when it comes to the topic of talking about breaking barriers, I figured that there was, this was the perfect time to be able to have a conversation about topics that are usually very difficult for people to be able to talk about, whether it's taboo or stigma, cultural differences, you name it. There are just some things that are very important that impact our mental health that we don't really create the space to be able to talk about with each other, whether it's with a friend or a family member, or you being able to just create the space to write about it in your journal. I really wanted to be able to make Make it a, a thing to where we are able to feel more comfortable just to dig a little deeper and talk about the things that are impacting us each and every day. So the Breaking Barriers is going to be a series where I am having mental health conversations with a variety of guests and we will just, you know, kind of vibe and chat, like having a personal conversation because I really want people to start to feel more comfortable. This is not going to be like an interview style where I'm hitting y'all with all the facts at all whatsoever. I definitely want this to just be very chill, very comfortable, you know, for people to be able to think and elevate their thoughts and maybe even get comfortable to continue dialogues like this within their community and with people that you care about. So, without further ado, I would definitely love to introduce who my lovely guest is for today, Miss Haley Arterberry. Hey, y'all. I'm Haley. So, I am so honored to be on the first, I'll put two fingers up, but it's fine, the first episode <laughs> of this series. Um, Shatina reached out to me in terms of just what she's willing to share with you all in terms of just building a community within this time. So I'm very grateful that she reached out to me and I'm so happy to be her first guest and I cannot wait to dive into conversation with y'all. All right. That is very exciting. And I definitely, you know, chose Haley because we have lots of conversations about mental health and Haley has a lot of experience just being in the mental health field. And, you know, suicide is a topic that has very much touched our lives in a personal way as well as a professional way. Um, so I thought that she would be a great person for me to have some chit chat with and kind of vibe with. We always have these comfortable conversations because, you know, that's really what I want to reiterate. Like these are conversations that I really want people to be able to just have at the dinner table when you're watching TV, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling happy, really trying to break that stigma. Um, and Ms. Haley, if you would like to, you know, just give people a little bit of background information about like your accolades and, you know, maybe some of your um, job experience or um, what it's like for you to have some type of experience with this topic. Yes, yeah, so um, I've had, over seven, seven years of mental health experience, um, specifically inpatient psychiatry and substance abuse. Um, I originally started this journey in 2013. So I started as a resident monitor at a drug inpatient facility in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, so what that consisted of was just, you know, monitoring the patients there, making sure like the milieu was fine, and milieu means just like the area that the folks are in. Um, so it started off very small. Um, I would monitor them coming in and out. Um, sometimes I'll have to help them make errands. Sometimes I passed out medications as well. Not like hard medications, but just, you know, light medications like Benadryl and things like right. that, Tylenol. And then after that, um, I moved back to California. And that's when I really started... Um, getting into inpatient psychiatry. So I worked um, in San Leandro for a couple years first, 
So that was like my first experience there, learning about the adolescent population in San Leandro, Oakland, Hayward area. So that was like my breaking, um, breaking in of like learning about everything. Um, after that, I merged into the Contra Costa area and I've been working at this particular facility for four years. So I was able to touch all populations, children, adolescents, adults. Um, they do have a recovery center there as well. So, and I also conducted group therapy. So I know how to do some of those dynamics. Um, I've also done mental health workshops within my community as well to reach a wider audience. Sometimes when you work inpatient, you only reach a specific population, but working with the community is more my thing to show people that community resources are available and how to utilize them. Yeah. So as y'all can see, this lady got it popping over there. She, she definitely has a lot of experience where I'm even learning a little bit more of just her background and, you know, all that she has to offer the community. Um, so I'm really excited to have her on this episode. I myself have been practicing therapy, you know, and being able to do one-on-one -on -one sessions since 2015. So I started my graduate school program in 2013, and I saw my first client in January of 2015. Um, and since then, I've worked with a variety of populations, um, whether it be elders, um, families, I've worked with infants, I've worked with um, adolescents, um, young adults, and just anything that you can think of. I've been able to touch all of the populations in a variety of settings, such as homeless shelters. Um, I've worked in middle schools. Um, I'm currently in the college setting, um, and I've been in elementary schools as well. I often do um, different panels and different discussions um, throughout the community when I get the opportunity just to be able um, to share this information with the community is so very important to me. So I often really enjoy being able to just kind of sit in front of an audience and have conversations like this. Um, and I have this brand Always Live Lovely where I'm hoping to be able to expand and just reach people further. I've been able to hold spaces, especially on the college campus, you know, when the college campus was touched by um, students dying by suicide. And so um, this is not a topic that's, that's new to me at all, as well as having some losing some friends that I know that have died by suicide and, you know, just other personal ways that it has very much so touched my life. Um, I usually am very involved in the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention as well, where for the last couple of years, I have um, did the Out of the Darkness walks, which has been really great, and it happened once a year. I usually am like, you know, getting a lot of donations just to be able to fight the call so that we can make sure that we are helping these foundations get resources out, um, continue to spread the information, continue to inform the community, and help families and people that are also survivors of people that have died by suicide. Um, unfortunately, this year I'm not doing it because I really love that face-to-face -face interaction and being able to walk around the lake, but I figured that um, this was just a great way to be able to honor this topic. And I really just want to make sure that I'm stressing just the importance of you know, suicide being something that doesn't have to be in the darkness. Like we don't have to, you know, feel embarrassed. We don't have to feel like we have to hide the fact that we are going through things like this, but, you know, kind of acknowledging and not necessarily normalizing it, but kind of putting it out there. Like, you know, people, people have thought about this, at least one person, everybody has thought about it in a passive way, um, in passive meaning to where you might have just had the thought of, hmm, I wonder what things would be like if I wasn't here. Um, so I'm definitely very involved, very passionate, constantly receiving trainings around how to be able to um, just better understand how to help people that have experienced this and not just help them in the moment where they're just in those moments of darkness, but I really, really want to be able to even focus on instilling hope um, and being able to to find more ways to help people thrive after they're able to overcome, you know, this period in their life, because people are definitely able to overcome it. So that's just a little spill on me. And if you want to know more, check out my website, www.alwayslivelovely.com, where you can read my full bio and see all of my background information. But when it comes to just like the topic of barriers around talking about suicide, I don't know, how do you feel about that, Haley? What have you seen? What have you heard? Have you grown and being able to talk about stuff like this? You know, um, I feel like there's like various barriers. I feel like there's various barriers for depending on like the population, depending on, 
you know, just where you live, you know. Um, I know for a fact that um, a lot of people, or I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but various people feel like there's no best outlet to talk about it. Um, suicide, even in 2020, is still a stigmatized topic. And I feel that depending on your cultural background, where you're from, what resources are there, you know, some folks feel like suicide is attention seeking, um, that, oh, you're not really, why are you feeling that bad? You have it good, you know, um, really talking about just like downplaying the actual feelings and symptoms. Um, I also feel that too, like signs show up very early. Mm -hmm. um, and they may not be so out there like that. I feel like that's some of the barriers too, is just knowing what those small signs are. Um, and some of those signs, you know, can be like, you know, you're not present every day. Right. You no. Know? Um, for children and teens, it could be a decline in grades. Um, there could be very fluctuating mood swings. Um, a lot of sometimes, sometimes the population I work with talk about their mood swings. Mm -hmm. We also share about how they get in a lot of conflict with people in terms of like, it could be siblings, it could be family, it could be their friends. They notice that they're having urges to cut. Um, for adults, it could be, you know, hey, I've lost my job. Mm -hmm. You know, I've lost my job. How am I going to pay all these bills when my job was lost on the 28th and rent or payment is on the first. first? So, you know, there's different signs like that. Or you start noticing that um, there's no communication from that person. Like, you notice, hey, I haven't really seen you on social media or haven't really heard from you. Is everything okay? And sometimes what folks do is I'm okay themselves to a point where they don't even know that they're hiding their own feelings. Right. Not even in touch uh, with it. Yeah. I, I just feel like we're still downplaying some of those feelings because we either feel like, oh, I don't want to bur burden anybody. Mm -hmm. I don't want my business to be told, you know, to everyone, depending on how you're raised. And then just the fact that, you know, there is that experience of, you know, I really don't want to be here right now. Mm -hmm. you know? People are not understanding like, why you don't want to be here. If you have all these things, why are you not happy? Mm -hmm. so, there's a lot of barriers to that. And I also feel too, it's just a matter of resources. Some people don't even know that there's inpatient, there's outpatient, that there's now teletherapy, which is so, great for folks who do have access to the internet but it could be a barrier for those who may who may not have wi-fi or have internet so how am i supposed to get to mm -hmm. you know, my session if i don't have any you know stable internet like we were just saying earlier today when we first started talking is your internet working so just things like that like how that can cause a disruption for some people if they don't have those you know basic or essential needs in their home right right yeah. I definitely feel like you touch on like a lot of good points um even when it comes to just like what the signs can look like because you know in the same way that the signs can be like the person is very very down or you feel like they're becoming distant or you're noticing the mood swings it can be like a a, a a flick of a switch to where a person can be that one day and then the next day it's like they're on top of the world they want to give away all they belongings they're telling everybody that they love them and you're like wait a minute I thought something was going on with you. Like, what's happening? Now you've sending everybody I love yous and you giving me your favorite sweater. And that's usually sometimes the moment where it's kind of like they're cleaning house, you know? And right. it's come to that point to where they're like, I'm at peace with making this decision that I want to die by suicide. I'm going to make this attempt. And sometimes people will read that as, oh, they're doing better. When really it's like, no, you really need to be able to check in with people the moment that they start sending certain messages and pay attention to the language that it is that they're um, speaking and expressing to you. And we really sometimes have to be okay with like 
just kind of talking amongst each other because like you said the whole not telling your business depending on what culture you're from that's such a real thing to where it's like you shouldn't tell people this you don't want to be seen as weak but honestly it could be used to an advantage because if you've been in that place before where you've been low and you question and you've considered or you even just had the inkling the little thought about things then you know like the language that you probably just said to yourself or the space that you're in and the different things that were popping up in your head so we have to sometimes feel comfortable with acknowledging if we've been there before ourselves because when other people are showing signs and if they start to show little things then you'll be able to be like okay like I, this sounds similar to what I was going through or it sounds similar to language that I might have been using. So something's not quite right here and I need to be able to read between the lines because clearly something's going on and they might be like crying out for help. So it's not that attention seeking um, that so many different people bring up and you know, people, it could be because people don't know how to handle it. Like, I don't know how you feel about that, but do you feel like people tend to, say like oh you're just um wanting attention or you know go to your room or you know you'll be fine you'll get over it you have such an amazing life do you feel like people take that approach because they don't really know what to say or what to do or how to handle a person that's in that space that that could be it that's part of it i feel like there's there's that acknowledgement that right that oh if i acknowledge this that means i actually have to deal with it now right like you know um I feel like sometimes when people express like they're depressed or they have, they're anxious or they're having all these various symptoms, people can feel like, well, that's never been a problem. Why is it a problem now? Mm -hmm. You know? And then there's that piece about acknowledging, oh, did I have something to contribute to those thoughts or feelings? Mm -hmm. So now it's taking ownership about like, well, now how did I contribute to it? Or how did this happen? How come you didn't tell me before when it first started? So mm -hmm. I feel like there is a part of that. And I feel like for some folks, depending on like, just again, just background and, you know, understanding of what suicide is, downplaying it is easier because it's less, you don't have to acknowledge it as much. Right. You don't have to be responsible for the person. You just downplay it because it's like, well, I, I don't want to deal with it right now because I have my own my own stuff. I have my own stuff. I, I don't really know. And then just, you know, depending on like your level of knowledge, you may say the wrong thing. Yeah. And, that's what, and that's what sometimes happens, especially in communities of color. We're not really privy to all the knowledge about suicide awareness so it's just sometimes easier just to say oh well you know it's not really that bad i mean it's it's okay it's manageable but you don't know what that person is already managing right and what you're trying to convey and express so i feel like again it's it's between two things just okay i don't want to acknowledge it because this may bring up some of my own stuff mm -hmm. or that when i do acknowledge it okay what okay, okay, so what do I do? Again, that goes back to the barriers piece about, okay, so now that I know what's going on with this person, friend, colleague, or something, where, where do I go next, you know? Like, recently, I had a um, good friend of mine call me about a specific person that they were concerned about, and they didn't know. They said, I, I, you know, I'm not privy to this, so what, what do I do? And I advise, you know, hey, if you're concerned, why don't you call up that person, do a run of questions. Mm -hmm. and if you're still feeling uncomfortable, you can go call and do a wellness check. Right. Now, after that, you know, if those folks that go off for the wellness check feel like they're, they're not they're in a good space, they'll handle the rest. So again, it's that responsibility and kind of knowing like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do if I'm, I'm not around the situation enough? Right, right. And I really like that point that you pointed out, like, it makes it more real for people. Um, yeah. They have to acknowledge it. And it kind of can make people feel like the responsibility is all on them now. Like, if I know that you're in a space to where you, you want to kill yourself, basically, then now you feel like it's your responsibility to save that person and make sure that they don't do that. And there could be a lot of pressure that's put on you at that point. So it's easier for, probably for people to kind of push it under the rug and kind of maybe acknowledge it. So it's like, you know, I am listening to you and I am here, but I don't have to take on all that because you're right. People are experiencing so many different things um, that they may not have the space or capacity to feel like, can I take on this too? So it's easier to just kind of minimize it 
minimize it because it's just such a scary topic and it makes people feel so uncomfortable. And I definitely know that like one thing that grinds my gears, of course, is when people will say things like, you know, your life isn't that bad, or there's people that, you know, are worse off than you, and you should be happy, and, you know, you know, you're too young to even think about suicide, you don't know what that is, or even, you you know, you're gonna go to hell if you kill yourself, like, right. <laughs> like that, um, and it's, it's definitely, like, so important to just express that, yes, okay, it's true, there are people that are better off than us, and there are people that are worse off than us, and that's just always gonna be a thing when we think of comparison, but in those moments, it's not about comparing or minimizing a person's experience, even if one feels uncomfortable with confronting a topic that's taboo or has stigma attached to it, um, because we don't know what each person's story is. We don't know how people are experiencing these emotions and feelings within their own bodies. Um, so whether somebody is worse off than you or not, that person that's worse off than you may not even be considering suicide at all. They might be happy with that little piece of the pie. So it's just like really important yeah. for us to be able to just acknowledge and truly hear people with what it is that they're saying and what they're presenting to us because it already takes a lot of courage, like especially from the variety of sessions that I've had with people and trying to just encourage them to tell someone that cares about them, tell someone that they care about. It takes a long time to get somebody to a place to where they feel okay with going to that person that they know loves them dearly and expressing to them like, hey, I've been dealing with suicidal thoughts. And a lot of that can come from, they don't want that person to feel burdened. They don't want to break that person hard. They don't want that person to feel like they did a bad job or that they did something to contribute to it. But really, it's not about that other person in the moment. But it's like even the person that's experiencing suicidal thoughts, it's like they, they're trying to protect someone else. So they're taking on another, another thing while they're also holding this very other heavy thing that they're already dealing with because they're hurting, but they also are trying to protect the people around them. So a lot of time it makes people not feel comfortable enough to bring up this topic. So then they begin to suffer in silence. Right, 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 right. And I, and I want to touch on the fact that about talking to someone, um, we were sharing, like talking to someone. So um, you know, as a therapist, you know, for you, I feel like that's, that's part of that piece is like making that connection as well, because I feel, you know, you could talk to your community and your family and things, but you know, you also want to talk to a professional as well too. And I think people need to know, like, again, normalizing that speaking to a therapist is okay, mm -hmm. you know? Because, and again, and, and we were so big on culture, you know, like people are always told, like, I don't want you going to therapist. That means, you know, like, oh, I don't want you going, to, you can go to your pastor or you can go to talk to somebody else in the family, like don't go to a therapist. But actually, you know, and I feel this is the question for you, just taking on this role as a therapist, how do you help people unwind those thoughts? You know, because there's a difference between personal health and professional health right I sometimes feel like again that's one of the challenges like when do you know when do you know it's time to see a therapist and how do you make that connection because it, again it's a trust factor there right. there's the trusting of okay i'm basically spilling out my challenges, mm -hmm. my barriers, my different thoughts that may seem unnormal to people who don't understand, you know, so how, how does one, you know, get, feel safe and connected with a therapist or what is that therapist role right. so people can understand? Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely have noticed that when it's come to um, just the different connections that I've made and conversations I've had with people that are thinking about this or even have thought about it in the past, I've noticed that a lot of the times, like, they knew that it was time to see a therapist because nine times out of 10, if you're experiencing something that's outside of your threshold and you felt like you tried everything that you possibly can to fix it or try to alleviate some of your symptoms and feel better and nothing's working, it's like, okay, it's fine to be able to admit like, I need a little bit of professional help. I need a safe space to be able to sort things out and figure out maybe what adjustments do I need to make 
to the tools that I already have that was working before, but they're not quite working now? Or what are some new things that I can try? So I hear a lot of the time people say like, you know, I wanted to come to therapy a long time ago, but it just took them probably an extra year or two to feel comfortable with actually making the appointment and then, you know, scaring and stepping their two feet into the room for them to be able to just sit down or right now just even get on the computer and have like a conversation. It takes so much courage. So I do typically feel like people, people know, people know, but they also have that thing of when you come to therapy, it's like, oh shoot, same as what we were just talking about a second ago, it makes it real. And so some people aren't really necessarily ready to face that realness of what their experience is like because they feel like, well, if I go to a therapist, that means something's really wrong with me. When it doesn't have to be seen that something is wrong, it's just we, we all have mental health. In the same way that we have physical health, we have our spiritual health, we all have a mind. So therefore, baseline, we all have mental health. We just deal with experiences on a different level because we all have a different baseline in what we're able to, where we're chill, where we're vibing. And then the things that'll kind of like, kind of like, you know, uh, make us get to our tipping point. So I definitely, you know, want to just reiterate people know, and it's kind of like touching and tapping into yourself um, and being okay with being honest, because I'm huge about being like, if you can't be honest with nobody else, like if you really just don't want to talk to nobody, at least start with being honest with yourself. Because you're the one that has to experience this. You're the one that's probably staying up at night. You're the one that's like crying or even thinking about um, engaging in some self-harm behaviors. Like this is something that you're encompassing and experiencing in your being, in your body. So try and be as honest with yourself as you can. So when I get people that, you know, may have maybe, usually there's an intake form that has to be filled out. And I will be honest, I can tell like sometimes people... A, could feel comfortable with typing like, yes, I have had suicidal ideation. And by ideation, I mean, it's the thought, just the thought of um, suicide in any form, um, any way, whether it's passive or it's current suicide um, thoughts, suicidal thoughts. Um, they can sometimes feel comfortable typing it on that intake and then they'll come into the room and like, no, I, I never had any thoughts about, no, I wouldn't think about killing myself like no this is not even this isn't even a thought right now because right. they're really comfortable and then there's some people that you know can check yes and they come in ready to talk about it because they've been holding it for so long that they just spill it out because they feel safe off the back and they know it's a safe place and then there's some people that check no and then it's once I kind of get them in the space to where I show them like hey, yes, I am a therapist. And yes, people may feel like there's a power differential because of um, being the professional in the room. I definitely try to let them know, like, you know, I'm chill. Like, <laughs> I'm a human. I'm not going to sit here and sit on the other side of the chair behind you and just analyze <laughs> analyze you and make you feel like something that you've probably seen in a movie. Like, we're going to have this conversation and we're going to really figure out, like, what's going on in the best way for me to be able to help and support you. So once they kind of get into the room with me and they see, like, oh, she's not so bad. Like, she even and, um, causes laughter and we can joke about things and makes them more comfortable to open up so some people will put no on a piece of paper and then when I ask them because how you ask people can play a big part in things too so instead of being like did you want to kill yourself or I'm sitting here all nervous like oh my gosh I don't know what to do this person just said that they had a suicidal thought last night or you know maybe they were holding a razor to their wrist and you know I panic like that's not going to make anyone feel comfortable because it puts them in the caretaking role then once again they're feeling like well now I got to take care of my therapist because she's freaking out about what I just told her. So I really just try to approach it with a chill vibe and just have a natural question like, hey, do you tend to, when you're at a point where you're feeling low, like, does it ever get to the point to where you feel like this too much? Like, I'm ready to check out. I don't want to be here anymore because I just need a break right now. And that tends to make people feel more comfortable and break down that barrier of like, okay, nobody's ever asked me like that before. Nobody's ever presented it to me in such a comfortable way to where they're not freaking out about it, but they really want to just sit here with me and what it is that I am experiencing. So I really try to just make that personal connection with them and also remind them like, if you don't want to answer the question right now, I'm not going to force somebody unless it got to a point to where I really thought that they weren't able to be safe um, and I had to do further assessment. I'm not going to push you because it does take time. Like you said, Haley, like trust. Trust is such a huge factor when it comes to choosing a therapist, being in the room with the therapist. It's all relationship based. Do you feel like that kind of like answers the question? 
Yeah, I, I feel like that does. I feel like there's a lot of, there's even more layers to that, right? Because, um, you know, prior to that, you know, some folks' experiences, whether you're a child, teenager, or an adult, you know, you could go to your therapist and say, you know, I feel suicidal right now. And then it's like, okay, let me hit you with this 5150. Right. So there goes that, you know, again, that piece too about like, oh, wait a minute. I thought I could trust, you know, I mm -hmm. thought I could trust you. I just told you, you know, and then it goes into this thing. And, you know, I know you have posed that question, you know, just to kind of think about for the conversation. It's just, you know, how does the 5150, you know, experience like, you know, because yeah. again, um, there's a lot of miseducation from my experiences on that for all ages, you know, from the parents to legal guardian to the actual patient um, and just what their interpretation of the situation was. Um, I know a lot of folks sometimes say, you know, well, I, I didn't mean it. I was just really upset and I said something out of frustration or anger or I just had all this built up emotion and now they feel like they're being punished for what they were expressing. Yeah. So on the inpatient side, I feel like we also have to, again, continue that trust factor about, well, now that I said this, now I feel bad about my emotions, and I don't know if I can trust my therapist now, because now if I say something about my suicidal thoughts, I'm going to go straight here. Right. And so I think there's also that educational piece about when you're doing your pre-assessment is being fully candid about the actual therapeutic experience and what that is and explaining to them if you feel like you are a danger to yourself or danger to others at any point in time I'm a mandated reporter and I must follow through with that mm -hmm. depending on the severity of the suicidal thoughts or you know homicidal thoughts you know you may want to create a safety plan for that person before they leave the session which I know most therapists do mm -hmm. and then also you know again being very honest and being very clear about you know the therapeutic role of what it is there is that you want to make them feel comfortable and feel safe but also let them know here are some of the things that i must do right to protect you as a human being and protect you know where you're going so i think there's that full transparency too that you know some therapists do that is very important for that trust factor. Right. And I also feel like too, um, what I've heard as well, and that I feel like that's changing with, you know, the new generation of therapists and the new ways of thinking is that, you know, a lot of folks when they come to their therapy session feel like they are, like you said, feel like psychoanalyzed and I'm just taking notes and I'm not really hearing you. And I think that's what a lot of people just need is someone just to listen right you know I feel like that's something that we as a people have to understand when someone is coming forward about their honest and true feelings the best position we need to be in is to listen and mm -hmm. then also ask do you want me to share you know do you want me to share what I feel you should do or do you just need this time just to express and then navigate it, you know? So I think that's also an important thing too, but definitely the education on, you know, if there's a problem to where your suicidal thoughts are taking over to where you feel like you're actually going to do it, when you leave this session, I have to do these things. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I definitely um, agree that, you know, with every session that I start, I have to talk about confidentiality. Um, I have to be able to say, like, you know, with further assessment, if needed, I would, there may be times where I would have to break confidentiality. And that one of the things would be if a person said that they were going to harm themselves or if they were going to harm um, someone else, then those would be times where I would have to break it. Um, what I can say, which is honestly a blessing, is since, you know, my first session in 2015, I've come close to having to 5150. People, I've seen people have to be 5150, but I myself have never had to personally 5150 anyone to this day yet. So I do tend to um, see that as a blessing because it really shows like um, 
the importance and the impact that it can have on someone to just have someone, like you said, to be there to listen and to have someone kind of approach this topic in a different way. Um, and then, so I make sure that they know like what my protocol is. And I also make sure that they have the space to ask any type of questions if they want to ask questions about it. Cause some people kind of know the drill and then some people are very freaked out about it. So they don't want to be honest at all about what it is that they're experiencing. So I really try to make sure that they know like, okay, Yes, it could get to this point, but I'm going to ask as many questions as I can to gather as much information so I can make an informed decision to see if that's even necessary. Um, because a lot of the time, it's not that somebody has like a plan that they're going to do it right when they leave. Um, about at least 75% of the time, I've experienced people more so just wanting a break. Like a lot of my conversations are like, yes, I, I do have that, or yes, I have that feeling right now. But once we kind of talk through it a little bit more, they're just looking for other ways to be able to release the pain that they're in. And so sometimes that changes into a conversation about self-harming behaviors because they maybe do have already dibbled and dabbled in some self-harming um, behaviors and that's been their form of release. And maybe sometimes they may feel like that's not working. So it needs to go further and they're considering just ending it all. Um, but it's really just about them feeling like they're at their wit's end and nothing is helping, which is why they're probably in the therapy room to begin with at this point. Um, and that they actually, they don't want to die. They just want to feel seen. They want to know somebody cares. They want to know they can be honest about the things that they're hurting, um, that's hurting them in the moment. And like I said, it's not going to scare people off. Um, so when it does get to that point, um, I, I do do safety planning. And then so it can feel a little weird for people because you know, it, it's like a balancing act with for the therapist at that moment between making sure the person feels heard, but I also got to hit these very important things and make sure that that person is okay before they leave. So even though typically sessions are like 45, 50 minutes long, if right. somebody's really not okay, the world, like, I kind of like, I, st I stopped the world for a second. And I'm like, I have to make sure that you're in a good place before I right. let you walk up out of this door. So I will take my time and do a safety plan with the person. And basically, it's exactly what it sounds like, a plan for you to make sure that you can stay safe. Um, and rather that's having, like, crisis support numbers um, on their um people that you know that you can turn to for support, um, ways to make your environment safe. We really talk about triggers, which is things that will put you in position to make you want to um, consider suicide or do some self-harming behaviors. Um, so we talk about definitely ways to make your environment safe, um, you know, different ways to just make yourself feel um, comforted. So it's a lot of different things that can go on in having that conversation. Some people like it to be tangible so they can remember it. Um, and then some people like to just dialogue about it because it feels a lot um, better. And I definitely over time continue to check in with people because it becomes a journey. It's already a journey, but it becomes more of a journey. So it's not just a one and done. You told me like I was feeling this way. Then I see you in two weeks. You like, I'm good now. And then we don't have to talk about it no more. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> because usually sometimes <laughs> the best times to talk to people is when they are up and up and they're good because I yeah. To be in position to know what their options are when they're fine, so that when they're not so okay, they're not like I don't know what to do, and they freak out, and then they continue to go and in, into those habits of what they they normally would do, rather than trying to think of those more healthier alternatives. Um, so I'm always checking in, and I'm always definitely making space to be like, did you use your um, safety plan? Do you still have it? Did you throw it away? Like, what's working? What's not working? Um, and things such as that. So I'm really happy that you brought that point up. Yeah, and I think, too, there's this, um, you know, the follow-up care, right? That kind of instills some part of hope there. Like, oh, okay, like checking in there. Sometimes they don't, people don't expect their therapist to check in on them, you know? It's just kind of like, oh, hey, you know, I'm just kind of following up to see how you're doing this mm -hmm. week or, you know, how are you feeling since we talked last, you know? And then someone can give, like, a small snippet of what their week is. And I think that's the part, too, that therapists and mental health professionals can instill hope, you know, in regards to, like, the future of that person. You know, some people or some individuals may feel that, you know, uh, when they leave the session, it's like, oh, wow, I have to, you know, like, I feel great. You know, now that I've done the session, I feel cool, you know, because there are some sessions that's going to be tough. And I think- right you said need to understand that that there's going to be some very vulnerable moments not all and cream <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right there's going to be some vulnerable moments there but 
the therapist and mental health professionals will just tie that in. You know, you don't want to leave somebody in a vulnerable space. You know, you got to recover from that so they can feel like, okay, even though we touched this vulnerable moment, there's still hope for me that I can get through what I'm getting through, whether it's just, okay, I do therapy once a month or biweekly, or I do other best healthy practices for myself so I could stay upbeat. And I think it's just very important to know for just mental health professionals in general that hope is there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, and it's a, it's a working relationship. You know, I feel like the therapist does some work and the client does some work too. And I feel like um, I have to express this to the populations that I work with is that, you know, based on their experiences, but previous therapists, you know, it takes a lot to build that trust. And, Mm -hmm. you know, therapists can only go as far as the client goes. Yep. You know, and I think I try to express that like, hey, you know, when you come into the session and this therapist says, you know, hey, what's been going on since last time I saw you? Or, you know, having that one answer kind of question thing and you don't really get anywhere. And I feel like that's what happens with, some of the younger generation or even the older generation too. It's just like, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? Fine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, okay, so where can that conversation really go? If you're just asking these one-sided questions and, you know, and maybe they are fine, which is fine, but it's not a facilitation of a conversation. And I always share that, you know, Hey, you know, if you are going into these sessions, you know, this, that's your prime, that's your stage. Right. That's your time. Yeah. That is your time. I mean, you could just, I mean, you could be like, what was that movie with Denzel Washington where him and the guy, I can't, I can't remember. No, 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 no. But it was that, it was where the guy had to come in and meet with Denzel all the time and they would just sit there and not say nothing. Uh, Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think. Yeah. But that's how therapy sessions can be. Antoine Fisher, there it yeah, is. Yeah, I was, I was like, it's on, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's on yeah. the tip. <laughs> yes, that's it's what like, it is. Yeah, it could be like an Antoine Fisher session. For those who don't know, it's a very classical movie, and it's great. But it could be like that where the person just comes in, just sits there, and then they just sit. They don't talk about anything. Mm-hmm. And that could be a step for that person just to even show up. Right. You know? So it just really depends on the level of the situation, but therapy sessions can be like that, you know, but, you know, I feel like for me as a person, I I feel like, okay, great. You made it into the room. You don't have to say much, but also how is this going to be for the rest of the time? Mm -hmm. Are we really going to be able to work together, gel together, you know, to make sure that you're doing good. So I feel like there's just, again, building that therapeutic relationship, instilling hope within them because you like I said suicide can come in at random times it's not just specifically in this season which is prone to happen but it can happen at any point in time in life and it's very important to know that you know there is hope beyond your suicidal thoughts and ideation Mm-hmm. And, and, and definitely like suicide isn't something that just impacts a particular population, a particular person. Like, listen, suicide does not have no prerequisites. It, it can pop up for anybody at any time. Um, so it has no preferences. Like it can impact you in any moment, even if it's a fleeting thought. So that's really important to know that when you do come to therapy sessions, that's your time to be as honest as you can be because the therapist can be sitting there pulling no teeth now. Like, you know, we, we not, we can't over analyze you to the point to where we fill it in the answers for you like we need something to be able to work with so really being able to put yourself in position to know like this is for you and this is to help you and that we're only able to go as far as that person wants to go and of course over time naturally people get more comfortable so they're willing to talk more about it um but that's definitely something that's really important and even just when you think about just like the topic of hope you know and and being able to figure out like what does that look like because people People do, like, I can even be honest about, like, I'm always, like, thinking, like, there has to be more. Like, there has to be more to learn. There has to be more trainings on this or that. And people talk a lot about the signs or the ways to prevent it. But sometimes I feel like, okay, but if the person is still here, where's the conversations about that? Like, what, what are they supposed to do with that? Like, after they've overcome all this, and yes, they can feel on top of the world, or some people can overcome it, but they're still, like, 
okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Because I was blending on being here. Like, right. how, how do you feel like people can foster hope or, or ways that you've seen people foster hope? Um, even more so like just from your, your personal like way of like overcoming and being like that support person for someone or from any loss that you have experienced, just, it could be hope for people that have lost people um, that have died by suicide or even hope for people that are still here and continuing their story and hanging on. Like how are people able to just get to that point? I feel for hope, it just varies on the person of what they define hope is. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, I woke up another day without the thoughts, you know, or it could be for me personally, I feel like because, um, you know, I've, I've had someone, you know, pass in my life that uh, committed suicide. And I think at one point I wasn't feeling too hopeful, like, how am I going to recover from this? You know, but I had to figure out like, okay, I had to come to acceptance that it happened. That's one thing. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers and complexities to that too. But I was hopeful because I I started reaching into what my purpose is more. Mm -hmm. I started realizing that, okay, I could do more education. I could be more of an advocate. I could show what, you know, what the good is of like, you know, I'm still thriving. Like, you know, I, I, when I was at my worst, I knew I was isolating myself. Um, I just, I was crying a lot, you know, and I don't really cry all that often. So that's why I I really don't. And then I would cry a lot. I wouldn't eat, you know. Um, I just wouldn't want to talk to anybody because it was such a, again, a sensitive topic. And I'm like, well, and again, I had some words shared with me that made me feel guilty about how I felt about this particular Mm -hmm. loss. And I'm just like, wow, okay, so we still have a long way to go. But what made me hopeful was that, okay, every day I got to share about my personal experience with, you know, the population I worked with, I let them know like, Hey, this is what can happen. Like this is some of the after effects of, you know, what, you know, what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, you know, being like a person that has to, you know, hear about it, witness it, you know? And I guess the whole part is that, you know, you could share the story to empower somebody else. Like don't give up. Mm-hmm. You know, that there are going to be days and I tell I tell the groups that I work with they're going to be days that are really really challenging and we have to remember is it a bad day or is it a bad moment right and so I think also gratitude you know remember the things that you do have you know I know some people say well you have this but counting actually counting those things about what actually gets you right in the morning or having the ability to speak or having the ability to tap into resources or different things like that. And I think keeping the hope that, you know, as life goes on, that you will take the time to heal yourself. And I think the other part is that there is no race for that. Right. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, we, we put a timeline on everything, you know, we put a timeline, okay, you should be over this by now. And it's like, well, no, you know, if it's a loss or if it's anything that is heavy, you don't want to put a time limit on it. Like some people feel like, okay, by my sixth or eighth session, I should have a grip on things. Right. But if you can't, you know, it takes a long time to heal something that happened 10 years ago. And you just now talking about it 10 years later, you know, vice versa, you know? So I think the hope is that with therapists growing, evolving, changing their styles, more therapists of color, are coming to address the needs of the community even more so than before. Um, I feel like there are more resources than before. Um, People are taking the chance Mm -hmm. as well to really be like, okay, like this is, this is getting better. Like this is actually okay for me to do. It's not bad, you know, like it's there. So I feel like that's the hope. And I feel like personally for me, it was just, me knowing that each day I have this opportunity to share my friend's story and also, you know, continue to work and share like, this is, this is it. This is the heart of the work. And are you ready to do it? Or are you not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and again, I feel like hope is a large definition and hope can have a huge spectrum for what people think. Hope can be like, okay, 
you know, I feel hopeful that my future is bright or that, you know, I'm hopeful that I will eventually heal from this trauma or these thoughts. So that way I can live my best life. Right. And it is possible. It mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely possible. And I really like how you pointed out, like, of how, you know, hope is defined by the person. Um, this journey is defined by the person. Like no one can define what it's going to look like for that person. So that's just a first step in a person being able to own, have ownership over the power that they can have and being able to overcome by them defining it for themselves. Um, and hope can be on both sides of the fence when it comes to being a person that's a survivor um, of suicide. And that could be, you're literally the person that survived it, as well as you could have been a family member because it impacts when people make these decisions um, and they do die by suicide, it, it then leaves like the people that are still here, it impacts everyone on, on different levels. And then, so I know same as you, like, you know, even being a therapist, like I've, I've lost people that have um, died by suicide. I've had people that have come extremely close to it and it just really shifted um just my perspective of everything and really seeing the value and how important it is for me to to express to people that you know you can continue your story and your narrative does not always have to feel like it's a sad song like there is a chance for that tempo to be able to change it just takes a little bit of it could take a, a journey it could take a while like you said it's not a bippity boppity boop it's going to just change overnight it really has to be like committed on the the days where you're feeling on top of the world and the days where you're feeling really low just re reminding yourself like a reason why really being able to find that reason why and that passion and that hope about why you may even want to continue to be here because it may not be at a certain point that you're like set on I want to be here for sure it could just be like I think it might be okay so holding on to that might could be like the little bit of hope to keep a person going but you know definitely it's it's tough when people you know choose that route you know and and the people that are still here like you know I've definitely cried for days especially in a year where I felt like everyone was either trying to attempt or I felt like there were so many people that actually you know follow through and went through with it. It was so very hard and I couldn't really understand like what exactly is going on. And I began to feel a little bit just detached from emotions because on top of that is the things that were just happening in the world too at that time. Right. Um, and then it just makes you get into a place of like, you know, what can I do to help people or what way, what can I do to relate more to people? What can I do to help people understand that they're not alone and that they're um, not, they don't have to be isolated. And I think that that really helped me be inspired to even become a part of the out of the darkness walks. Cause that was like a, a, a easy first step into just getting into the community and listening to people's story and seeing like, you know, um, finding healthy ways to remember people and being able to just have community of support um, and even just hope for the person that may have attempted um, or may have gotten close. Like, you know, I just really congratulate people for still holding on to their courage and still being here. And, you know, really, I really try to pull for just finding that beauty and a person being excited about still being here because that's a blessing in itself. And it's such a, such an example of just a person's triumph and their perseverance and the grit that it is that they have and that they've been able to build. Um, and kind of knowing that, you know, they, they've overcome and opened that door already to be able to connect with people. So continuing to connect with people because they may feel triggered later on. It doesn't mean that, you know, you never may feel that way again. Like, you know, you can get to that point too. Like really just normalizing, like this can be an up down roller coaster ride. Um, but like I said, just remembering to find that light that is within you um, to continue to try and push. And even if you have to write reminders around your room of things that make you happy, people that love and care about you, the different aspirations and dreams that it is that you, you know, have, or even just memories that you hold on to that you feel like, you know, are really important and you want to be able to experience more memories like that. It's definitely an ongoing conversation because like I said I feel like there needs to be more conversations about that hopeful side but it's always such a such a blessing and joy to see people that have come in at their lowest of lows and then you know over time they leave and they're not having those thoughts anymore so it definitely shows that it's possible they found tools that have worked for them they've been able to find some joy they've been able to overcome even if it's just by 10 or 15 percent like it definitely shows right. like you know it's it's possible it's just something that people have to be um committed to doing because I also feel like I see a lot of people that are like they attempt it and then they wish that they had it because it's going back to that reminder of sometimes it's not even that people wanted to die. They just didn't feel like they had any other way out. They felt like they had no other way to, to get a break or to feel some type of 
release. So hope is definitely something that I, I am I am really hoping <laughs> that people can get from just this conversation and just being able to um, talk to people. And I definitely, um, you know, before we end today, I definitely want to uh, go back to something that you said earlier, Haley, which was know that it's okay that if somebody was to come to you and say these things to you and they like, they don't really know what to do with that. Take somebody else, like make it a community thing. We can heal together. We don't always got to just do this thing by ourselves. Like life is hard enough. Okay. So we definitely <laughs> need people right. in our circle. So it's fine. Like, you know, if somebody calls you and you like, okay, I got to go, you know, text my other friend um, to see like if they know something or if you have some therapists or people that are like mental health advocates, like in your community, try and get as much help, get on Google, figure out like, well, what questions can I ask this person? Like, there's no shame in that because the most important thing is trying to keep people here trying to keep people heard and trying to continue to let people see and know that they have value we're all unique people there's only one of us so everybody has a place and a purpose and a thing that they are supposed to be doing here um and so you know i never i never want people to get in the space to where they feel like you know this is it and this is all that life has for me because life can definitely be much grander and offer so 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 much more than what they may be feeling or thinking you know at that moment even if they've been feeling it over years you never know like what beauty could come from things if you just try your hardest to keep on pushing right that's it yeah and so i want to be just mindful because you know people got short attention spans so <laughs> definitely want people to be able to just like you know watch this video um and this has been just such an amazing conversation like to where if people want to part two of going even more in the nitty-gritty we definitely could talk about that because it's so complex like there's so many different layers as people can yeah. see it impacts so many different people there's so many different routes of treatment there's so many different just um uh, right expectations people may have you know having to pop people bubble and like let them know the reality of things that we could talk about this for days but i'm so grateful for um you Haley, being willing to just share this space like with me and for us to be able to have a dialogue you know break some barriers around to have this mental health conversation about um this topic and like I said, if people want more, then y'all got to let us know that you want more. You want a part two of this conversation because um, this is definitely going to be on a variety of platforms. It'll be on um, everything that's always with lovely. So my website, www.alwayswithlovely.com. I do have an Instagram and a Facebook that's also the handles at always with lovely. Um, and I have a YouTube. So it's going to be housed on YouTube. Um, that's always with lovely as well. Everything always with lovely. You know, I tried to make it easy for y'all, but <laughs> you know okay period who so basically you know it's on all of those platforms and being able for Haley to just blast it out there and put it out there we're really trying to just push this message like this month is suicide um prevention awareness month and this past week on thursday was um world suicide prevention day but y'all September is not the only month where we're supposed to be pushing and talking about suicide because people are impacted by this by the second, by the minutes, by the hour. It's not something that's just going to go away in the blink of an eye or after September. It's like we done fix something and we good into next September. I really want people to be able to look at this at any time of the year at any time of the day and be able to just feel a little more comfortable. I hope we encourage you to go see a therapist if you needed to. I hope we can encourage you to be able to reach out to a friend. I hope that most of all that we just encourage people to continue their narrative, continue their story and to just to know that things are possible and we can have these conversations and we we fine we fine like we ain't passed out we okay we still here we can have these conversations y'all it, it doesn't have to be as hard as we've been taught for it to be all these years like we breaking these barriers we busting down walls we shattering the stigma we doing all that so hey do you have anything that you would like the people to know more some last thoughts how can they reach out to you um if they would like to yeah, I have an email. Um, it's Haley, H-A-L-E-Y dot A-R-T-E-R-B-E-R-R-Y 92 at gmail.com. I am on social media. It's, I think it's underscore, underscore Callie Rose, but I can't remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm just in case we make it right. right. But you know, um, again, reach me out, reach out to me by email. I'm more than happy to share more about my inpatient experiences and my personal ones um you know but like again i've been working in the field for seven years and so i've seen a lot of 
different trends, different theories, different things. And I feel like it's very important that we stay up to date with y'all. Um, it's very important to know, like, what are the new things that are being practiced? What are the new, I mean, again, we've, we've only probably touched like a certain percentage of what we right. can this time frame. Right. So like, <laughs> right. So like Shatina said, if you want like a part two, part three, you know, we're more than welcome mm -hmm. to talk about it. Maybe y'all can give us some sharings like, well, could you go a little more in depth about this? And, you know, we're more than happy to. Um, I think it's just very important that we're still working to normalize these conversations so that you all could feel like, oh, I learned something today or oh, I, that resonated with me, or, right. well, I want to be more educated on this so I can help somebody else, so that's it for me, y'all. Yeah, so reach out to her, um, reach out to me, we don't bite, y'all, like, we are definitely into building community and really just healing together, we, we literally, everybody needs somebody, like, to be able to, you know, that was so cliche, I was not trying to do the song lyrics, I really wasn't, but it's so fitting for this, like, we do all need somebody to lean on, so, right. to just really build this community, building this Always Live Lovely um, community, um, to be just a place where people can kind of come in and get their mental health information, be able to come in and be honest with themselves, you know, when the, when the world is able to open up more coronavirus, we would love to, like, I would love to have this conversation in person, and be able to have people there, and really just sit down, and talk and have a safe space for us to just kind of like you know work through some things together and you know make people not feel like they're so alone with what it is that they're experiencing so definitely y'all you know share when share this with people get the message out like give people something to be able to look at give people hope you know um, during this time as well and then also be on the lookout for more episodes of the breaking barriers and mental health conversation coming very very soon so thank you all so much thank you so much Haley. love you love you dearly love you too girl <laughs>